Hi, I'm Bob Ekblad. Welcome to my podcast, Disciple. Word, Spirit, Justice, Witness. I'm here in Manaburg, Cape Town, South Africa, with my dear friend, Pastor Richard Malatino from Zimbabwe. And we have just finished uh, a training up in Zambia and now a second training, our Certificate in Transformational Ministry at the Margins here in Manenberg. And um, tomorrow, Richard's going to be heading back to his country, to Zimbabwe. And uh, I'm going to be leaving the next day for the Isle, island of Mauritius. And uh, so this is a precious moment to uh, talk with Richard and to hear his reflections on what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So I'm wondering, Richard, if you could tell us a little bit about what you believe um, it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Okay, thank you very much, Bob. Uh, to introduce myself, um, yes, I'm Richard Malitino. Uh, I'm pastoring uh, a church in Guero. Um, being a pastor in Guero, yeah, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. So basically what it is to me is to follow Jesus and to follow his heart. And sometimes to follow even where you might feel it's very uncomfortable. That's not where I want. Especially with the pressure, I mean with the pressure that we always get when we see television ministers and ministries showing all those flashy things you would want and attempted to just want to look like them. But you find actually being a follower of Christ is not all about that. It's about following him where he's leading you, where he wants you best, and where you learn to listen from him and take comfort from him, not comfort from the surrounding or circumstances that you'll be uh, working in. So following Jesus is like going after him, listening at him, having the heart of Jesus, um, and at the same time, presenting him, manifesting Christ in areas and places that um, you will be working. So basically that's what I would say, what it is to be a disciple. That's how I see, not only that's what I see, but that's how, what I live and uh, what I do every day. So Richard, um, can you describe um, how it is that you know what Jesus is telling you to focus on? You know, uh, what are some of your spiritual practices that uh, put you in touch with God's heart and his precise instructions about, you know, what, what you should be doing? Well, thank you. Um, well, my day always begins at three o'clock. Uh, we will always woke up for prayer. We have time where we worship, and I have time I pray, and always prayer uh, will always be determined 
by what the Lord would want me to pray for. Sometimes it will be praise or just laying down, just worshiping. Sometimes the Lord would make me to engage into some intercessory prayers coupled with um, uh, welfare prayers, depending with what the Lord actually has given to me. So basically I start with prayer every day. And uh, prayer might go as um, around six o'clock. Sometimes if the burden is strong, it might be anything after six o'clock. So that's how I start my day, or that's how I practice to have time with with him. So what what kind of commitments are you engaged in right now? Like what what does your ministry look like on a kind of a daily and weekly basis? Well, my ministry in the beginning, I felt I was called to be a pastor. And uh, my theology and what I was taught in college was standing every Sunday and preach. And uh, during the week, you have one or two cell groups that you run. But uh, in the process, I began to see um, a different calling, which actually goes well with your question about discipleship, where you have to follow. Because you follow, you learn from him. So I began to like get into our rural communities that were around us and seeing people, children especially, orphans, street kids, some whose parents are still alive but who cannot afford to give their children uh, basic education, even bring food on the table. Not because I was going to take care of everyone, but wherever the Lord would lead, then we started actually accommodating children in our house and some we have fully adopted them to be part of us. Uh, currently at my house we are having about 17 people that stay with me. Uh, it's, 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 it's Jesus who has really given us this burden and we felt actually we have to do it. And as we were doing it in the first place we thought it was going to be difficult. But I've discovered one thing that if you follow the heart of Jesus, you will never like, you always have enough and not enough for yourself, but enough to share with others. So this is exactly what has been happening. Uh, and also with rural ministries, we have recently, which is last year, opened a school. Last year it was ECD. A and B, where we managed actually to have 26 kids that were coming to school because these kids were walking about 20, um, they were walking about 14 kilometers one way going to school. And we are talking about a kid who is about six years, 14 kilometers going and 14 kilometers coming. So having a farm in the rural area, it gave us a privilege to see what we can do. 
So we started with ECD last year and the Lord provided the funds to make sure we can feed the 26 children plus those who are in our house. And this year we opened a primary school, which is grade one up to grade five, an enrollment of 126 who are not paying fees and who are feeding every day. And uh, which has really blessed us to understand that when you follow Jesus and you take from his heart, you never struggle. Yes, you struggle because humanly speaking, there are certain things that we would want to, like say one plus one is two, but with God, sometimes one plus one is, is not two. It might be more than two in the provision that he always gives us. So in brief, that's what I can say about uh, what we are doing other than being pastors. We have been to Chimani Mani, where in 2019 there was a disaster that destroyed and killed a lot of lives in the area of Malawi, Mozambique, and part of Zimbabwe in the Midlands, I mean, in the Manicaland area. That's the area where we went. And that area where we went after the disaster, 264 people, they perished. The whole compound, which was a government compound, was swept and people died. So that's the area where we went. And we did some counseling, and not only some counseling, but God gave us grace where we could meet some of the needs. So these are some of the things that we we are seeing God doing through us. So um, you were talking about this year, God speaking to you in a particular way, um, kind of giving you a new challenge about how to walk with him. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, this year God gave me um, a challenge. It's walking with or walking in his presence. This has so much been a challenge that God has given me. And um, I'm praying every day to be able to walk in his presence and to know what it is walking with and in his presence. So that's the word that really God gave me for the year. And really, I'm seeing what his presence is, though there are certain things that you might not understand in the first place, but it becomes clear each time you take his word or you take a thought that he gives you by faith and you begin to walk, it becomes clear and you begin to see what it means. And um, yeah, like I'm saying, we started uh, a school, it was just by faith. And uh, not only by faith, but as a result of taking faith because we believed his presence was with us, as he has challenged me, I began to see God helping us and providing. And uh, many things actually are happening as a result of walking with him. I have a son at one time, it was my brother, uh, where my son wanted to go out to, to India to study. 
I didn't know where I was going to get the funds and how to do it. But really, God provided miraculously. And it was something that helped me to like bring to my kids what it is to walk in the presence with the presence of God. Because in the, in the first place, my children seeing uh, other kids going out through our hands, though it, it's not what actually is coming directly from us, but where God gives us favor to like send other children to school. We have a girl who is doing his third year in medicine in Zambia at Cavendish University. We have um, uh, Shane who is doing meteorology. He finished actually his, uh, his, uh, his certificate. He's now doing his diploma. No, these people, they are around our kids and our kids would say, but why not us? Why is not God providing for us? We are keeping about 17 people and able to send them to school, you know, but we saw God providing miraculously uh, for Ezekiel to be fully uh, provided for his fees and accommodations. So this word and this challenge God gave me, it's a, it's, it's a reality, it's real. I'm seeing God and it's not a presence which is, um, which I would say I'm walking on my own, but God has allowed me to walk together and to share with my children and my wife. So um, Richard, you don't receive a salary, right? And you, um, how is it that you live actually? Like, what does it look like to receive provision uh, from God? Well, that's a very good question, Bob. Um, I'll simply say faith. Um, I don't receive a salary. But instead, I have to provide for the needs of others. I'm talking about children that are staying with me. Uh, where they should have food, where they should have clothes and the roof over their, their, their heads. I mean, that's God providing. And I cannot tell you my source is so and so and so and so, but each time I'm always surprised with what God does. He's, he does it miraculously. So that's how I'm living, even without salary. So are people then like giving to you, but you don't know that they're going to give? It just sort of happens and suddenly someone sends you money or how, did, how does it happen? Can you give me an example? Last time we had a local lady who gave towards Ezekiel school fees. You can see how God does things. We are not talking about someone from America, someone from UK, but we're talking about someone from the local from an economy which is non-functional, but God moved her and she provided for, for the school fees and the air tickets of Ezekiel. And that's the same thing that is happening even with feeding people. I remember the Saturday we didn't have anything. Uh, a lady who is not a Christian, but who lives actually in our surrounding. She came with three chickens and say, Pastor, I felt like I have to give you these chickens. 
So that's how God has been providing for us. So you don't have a car, um, do you? And yet you are going out to rural villages. You are, um, I mean, you traveled up to Zambia. You Here you are in South Africa. Like, how is it that um, you're able to get around, like in your own country, for instance? Bob, you cannot actually give an excuse why you cannot preach the gospel. The car, yes, it's a vehicle that we need to preach the gospel, but when the car is not there, the Bible says, blessed are the feet of those who carry the gospel. So I'm so much blessed as long I walk with feet on my foot to go and just share the love of Jesus, pray for someone, uh, release a word to someone, encourage someone, regardless of not having a car. So, yeah, that's how I see things. And uh, I will never give an excuse. If the Lord brings a car, praise God. If he doesn't, still I'll continue preaching the gospel of Jesus. So I visited uh, Richard like three different times. Gracie and I have been there to Agüero, and we did our certificate in transformational ministry back in 2018. And we lived in your bedroom, actually. And when we were there, we were so moved by all the people that um, that seemed to just kind of come in and out of your house. And a lot of them, I guess, were living there. And um, and you were providing meals for all of us. And so I experienced your hospitality. And, um, and so I just wonder, you know, um, what are some of the, um, can you talk a little bit about just the struggles of just living in Zimbabwe right now? What, what's it like in Zimbabwe? Uh, what are some of the challenges of, of just the, a lot of the poor people that, that, you know, that are in the country and that you minister to? Yeah, the bigger challenges uh, that we have, especially living in Zimbabwe. Like I said, it's a non-functional economy. Uh, which is a concern, especially for the lowly people, uh, like those who work amongst them. They don't have income. Things are so difficult for them. But coming back to where you said you stayed with us and you saw us providing, it's always a joy to share even the very little. I think it was a joy when that little young boy who had five fish, I mean, we had five loaves and two fish shared with Jesus. It was a joy because at the end of the day, he experienced an asto I mean, astounding miracle that happened out of the two fish and the fish, I mean, and the bread. So we are always amazed with God whenever we share. We share and it doesn't actually, I mean, like finish, but we always see God providing and miraculously uh, multiplying even the very little that we have and that we share. So living in such conditions has so much helped our faith rather than uh, destroy our faith because that has helped us to see who God is and what is his provision. Even in the area of, of, of health, we have seen God healing even our kids, the kids that we stay with. We simply pray for them because there is no hospital that we can take them and no medication. So the only thing that we do is to trust him and we see his healing power being manifest each and every day. 
So Richard, I know um, you've shared this story before to me, but can you tell me the first time you saw somebody, you prayed for somebody who was, who'd actually died, uh, that came, who came back to life? Can you just tell the story of the first time you saw that? Well, yeah, the first time that I first saw someone coming to, to life was, um, uh, it was around 1993, uh, not sure. That was the first time. And it was the time I was uh, staying with my uh, now, well, he's still in Zimbabwe, uh, Reverend Mawire. I was staying with him. I would say he, he has been my mentor. And uh, it happened that uh, we were sitting on the, on, on, the, on the table and it was in the morning because normally we would wake up and we would have time where we pray. He's the man that really uh, helped me and taught me uh, how to pray. So we would wake up and we would pray. After we pray, we would have time that we would read the, the Bible. So this morning, this particular morning, we were reading the Bible. And uh, the daughter of uh, Reverend Mawire came and he was carrying a baby who was hardly two years. And this baby, she was a girl. And he came and he was crying. And he said, Daddy, I don't know what happened. This was early in the morning. And uh, Reverend Mawire investigated and only to see that the board, I mean, the, the, I mean, the girl child was long dead. His body was stiff. You could not fold anything. It was stiff. He was dead. But um, Reverend Mawire said, Ah, oh, Richard, take the child. So I took the child into my hands. That was my first time to ever hold someone who was dead. Though he was a child, but somewhere, somehow, it was very scary. And they grown in a custom where you cannot hold or touch a dead body. Uh, it was a little bit difficult, but my spiritual father told me, can you hold the child? So I took the child into my arms. And as I took the child into my arms, he said, we have to pray. And when he said, you, we have to pray, he said, Richard, can you pray? I have no words to pray. I had never prayed for anyone who was dead. So I didn't have anything and I had no clue how I was going to construct my words or sentences in praying for this corpse that was in my hands. But as we were quiet, something that came to me was the scripture from the book of Mark, I mean the book of Matthew, where Jesus say, raise the dead. It was so vivid, raise the dead. So I began to pray. And as we were praying, I remember saying, Lord, I thank you 
And later, I began to pray in the Spirit. As I was praying in the Spirit, and everyone who was around that table, they began to agree with me as we were praying. But I was praying in the Spirit. And after a while we had prayed, I heard something that was warm. And I wondered what it was, only to discover it was urine. And after that, I heard the cracklings of bones, you know. And I looked closely to this young girl, the corpse that was in my hands. He began to move his hands. And life came back. So that was my first time to see God raising the dead. And we assume that this baby might have died as a, as a, by reason where the mother overslept and he went over the baby and the, she died while his, the mother was asleep and only to discover the morning that he brought the child uh, to us as we were sitting on the, on the bed. So that was the first time I saw God raising the dead. Wow. And, um, you know, I know you've seen that happen a few times. And uh, this last year, you yourself uh, were even raised from the dead by your wife and, and a pastor. And, um, and so these kinds of miracles really... Um, Raise your faith, don't they? You know, when you see things that you would never imagine uh, you see God do, um, you know, suddenly you, you have, uh, you know, your mind expands, right? And you think uh, that maybe it's true that all things are possible to the one who believes. Is that right? Bob, that's very true. And I think uh, God giving me a word to walk in his presence with his presence really something that has uh, really lifted up my faith. Because what I've seen in the past and what I'm still to see, it's always raising my faith and always confirming the word of God that all things are possible with God. Nothing is impossible with Him. So um, when I was with you, the one of the times that we visited, there was a woman from, uh, I think, in the town of Buluai, or it was a city, um, and she was one of your pastors who um, came to the training that we had. But um, she came to Gracie and I when we were, um, you know, at your house, and she asked if we could pray for her so that she could read. And Gracie and I both thought that she was that she had an eye problem, so we prayed for her eyes. Can you explain what the actual situation was and what happened? Yeah, this lady, a pastor from Bulawayo, I remember vividly when you prayed for her, you and Gracie. Um, let me give uh, a background. She was from a family which was polygamous, where the father had more than one wives. So 
and having many children, it ended up where girls were sidelined. They could not go to school. So she could not read. She could not write because she was never given such privilege to go to school. So she became just a raw lady who was ready to be married. Eventually she was married. She has kids. They are now grown up. And when she came actually to this uh, CTMM, which we are conducting in Gweru, uh, she requested from you to pray for her. And uh, you prayed for her. Uh, when you prayed for her, she left for Bulawayo and you left for UK. I mean, for USA. So after some two or so weeks, she called me and said, Mufundis. And I say, what? Say, I'm Mufundis. I'm now writing. I am now reading my Bible. And I said, how? And she said, from the time Bob and Grace prayed for me, I began to read. And not only reading, I began to write. So that was uh, almost the 2018, if not 2016, when Bob prayed for this lady. And last year, but one, which was 2021, during the COVID, she enrolled for a certificate where she wanted to study Bible. It was with the excitement of writing and the excitement of reading. She wanted actually to learn more and she enrolled. So on the graduation, it happened that she came out the best student in her class. Miraculous. It, so, it surprised us. So this is what happened Bob, to this lady. Her name or her full name is Sibonisiwe Muchena. That's her name. So that amazes me because um, I know that I was not praying and Gracie was not, we were not praying for her to be able to read and write. We thought that we were praying just for her eyesight. So that shows that she, uh, it was her faith really that, um, that, that, you know, like Jesus says often to people, you know, by your faith has made you well. Um, like when Jesus says to the woman who has the blood flow, who comes and touches him in the crowd, Jesus says, your faith has made you well. And I think this is an example of someone's faith, um, you know, uh, in this, something that would be normally humanly impossible, mm -hmm. um, you know, faith in Jesus, uh, bringing about a, a miracle like that. Um, and um, so, you know, seeing the multiplication of food, seeing, um, you know, having faith to be able to start a school where you don't even have any money, you don't know where the money's going to come from, or having 17 people living in your house who are, uh, you know, who need, who don't have places where they can live, you know, don't have parents who have the resources to house them, um, you know, praying for someone, a baby who's dead, and others that, who have died. Um, are there other things that you've seen that, that um, you know, where faith was required, uh, where you saw, you know, just like a real move of God as a result of someone's faith or your faith? 
Yeah, that, that's very true, um, Bob, that um, my faith has always been, you know, lifted up each time I see. And this is not something that I would say I do, but it's something that I would say it's the Lord manifesting himself. I mean, through my life, through people that are around me. So, yeah, uh, it's, it's difficult really, but at the same time, it's, it's always very good to put uh, the praise and the glory where it's you. It's the Lord at work and it's the Lord surprising us. And it's uh, like answering the question that you have given me, what is a disciple? A disciple is a follower of Jesus. And if we go through the Bible, the disciples, when Jesus sent them out, these are some of the testimonies they brought to Jesus. So as I follow Jesus, he's allowing me to witness and to see and to bring some of the testimonies of his working in just simply obeying and following without questioning. So how do you understand spiritual warfare in the middle of all this? Because we follow Jesus, but then um, we go through trials and struggles. Like last year, you got very sick and you even died. Um, and uh, that's a story I'd like you to tell us in, in a few minutes. But, but can you describe um, how you understand spiritual warfare uh, and how you experience it in the midst of your being a disciple? My understanding with spiritual warfare is where the enemy uh, would come against my life, against my family, against uh, my community, against my city and the people around me. So it becomes spiritual warfare because always God would give us eyes to see who is the enemy, what is the enemy, and how to confront the enemy. So I have seen such things. I, I would give you this, uh, this story, uh, which happened the first time I occupied the house uh, where you came where you visited us for more than three times. Uh, the first time when we went at this house, uh, there were some beds. We had a problem with beds. We could not sleep. Even our children could not sleep. If ever they were dreaming, most of them actually would do, like hallucinate, you know, shout, scream in their sleep. And, uh, we wondered what was happening. So this other time I was reading my Bible because I was getting myself ready to pray and I was sitting in the sitting room. It was just after midnight. As I was re reading, the Lord gave me a thought. Just look up. And I looked up. I saw these beds. And as I saw the beds, literally beds, it was not a vision. It was not a dream. These were literal beds. I saw these beds, and they they were running all all, all over. 
you know, and some of them would like fly close to me. And as I remained watching it, I felt in my spirit the anger. I had, I had that anger. So the next thing that I did, I said, in the name of Jesus, that's, this is not your place. I command you to go or to die in the name of Jesus. Literally, I saw a bed falling right on my coffee table. And the other ones, they moved out. And from that day, we have never seen a bed. From that day, we were sleeping like little children. My children were sleeping like, you know, nothing was or nothing ever happened to them. We never had them, you know, screaming or doing anything. So these are some of the spiritual warfare that we encounter. And uh, I give you another example of some of these spiritual offers. We were in a village with a team that I took. I, I took and um, as we were preaching under a tree, there was literally sand that was being thrown at people, sand. It was thrown at people, we looked around. There was nothing, but people were getting sand. And uh, the Lord told me that, just pray against territorial spirit in this area. And uh, we stopped and I asked someone, what's the name for this area? They said, this name is called, uh, well, this name they called it Makwikwi. Makwikwi Shona, it means a place of contending where like two powers will be contending. So that was the name of the area because there were a number of witches that were known in that area. So I stopped everything after I inquired and we said, we are going to speak the blood of Jesus, take authority over territorial spirits. So when we prayed, and took authority over those territorial spirits. After praying, everything stopped. Literally, we began to see people coming to the service that we were doing under the, the tree. By the time we were to preach the gospel, there were many people that had come. So you define this was uh, a warfare where you enter into a, into a certain area and where the powers of darkness would play, I mean, would stand and say, you cannot come here. So what would be needed is to wage a spiritual warfare, but you need to discern and to know which spirit is dominating in that area. So these are some of the examples of how I have encountered uh, spiritual warfare and how the Lord has given us victory. All right. So um, last year, you 
uh, in the midst of your normal life, um, you know, you suddenly became very, very sick. Um, do you consider that sickness uh, to be related to spiritual warfare at all? The sickness that actually led to you to you dying? And can you talk about how Elizabeth um, prayed for you and what happened? Yeah, it's very true that um, it might have been related to spiritual warfare. And, um, and I might not have enough time to like explain any, everything. But we had started our prayer and fasting for the week because we had an event that we were going to, to have on a Sunday. And we felt like we wanted to pray. We wanted to see God actually move in that event, that service. So on a Monday, uh, we started the prayer and fasting. So it was in the evening, just after coming out from a service, because in the morning, we'd wake up at about four to around six. And this particular week, people would pray as much as they want, which means people could even extend the whole day in prayer if they had time. So we prayed this particular festive day. And when we came home, that's when I felt I was very sick, very, very sick. And uh, I asked Elizabeth to pray for me because it was like coming from my shoulders where I felt, you know, the weights on my shoulders. And he prayed for me and I felt like I was much better. But during the night, when we went to bed, that's when I felt very sick. Very sick, I could not sleep. So my body temperature was high. So anyway, in the morning, when four came, I felt like I was a little bit better and there was time to go for prayer. So I insisted to my wife to go with her, but Elizabeth refused me to go. And he, the reason was, the whole night I could not sleep. I wasn't well. I was very sick. So Elizabeth went to the prayer uh, around 10 o'clock because she didn't come back. I called her and she didn't pick the, the phone. And I thought possibly she was still praying. And I called um, my elder who responded to the call and he said, no, we are pr I'm praying for you. I thought he had gone to the prayer meeting, but that day, he didn't go. So later Elizabeth called and he came. When he came, I wanted to be assisted to go to the I mean to the bathroom. So she took me to the bathroom. And when she was coming with me, that's when actually I collapsed and she laid me down and my spirit came out. I literally died. And he, she says she checked my pulse rate. There was nothing like pulse rate. I wasn't breathing and my body be, was becoming cold. So one of the boy that we stay with, he fled the scene when he discovered and saw what had happened. So Elizabeth 
began to pray together with one young man who is a pastor who is staying with us from Mozambique. They prayed and Elizabeth was praying in the spirit. That part of praying in the spirit, though my spirit was out of my body, I could hear my wife pray. She was praying in the spirit, but I could not really come back into the space where she was to pray together with her. I, I, I was, I couldn't, but I could hear she was praying in the spirit. Elizabeth tells me that it lasted for over 40 minutes or over an hour where she was praying. And the Lord allowed my spirit to come back into my body. When my spirit came back into my body, Elizabeth tells me that I began to sweat a lot. I sweated. And as I sweated, I was back and she saw that I was back to life. And um, she helped me to sit, which I did. And um, my pains, what I felt previously, I could not hear any pain. I had no pain. I was perfectly healed. Nothing was. I had nothing to like say, I feel pain here. I was perfectly healed. So that's how God brought me back to life. And even to my wife, I remember where I was telling him, Mama, if ever I'm to live, since the Lord has given me this chance to live, I want to save him and save him alone. So this is how I came back to life. So how has your life changed since you've been given the opportunity <coughs> to live again after you were raised back to life? Like, how has your life changed? Yeah, Bob, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's not an easy question, but I'll just say ever since God has given me another chance, um, my life has so much changed especially in the area and of commitment. Commitment to him, commitment to people, loving them, you know, wanting to like pour more of him to him. I mean, to whosoever, you know, I've seen uh, the Lord giving me a burden of starting school. You know, I didn't question anything. So my life is so much changed that I cannot question God for whatever he will uh, put upon my heart as a burden to do. I'll simply do because I know he is in control and I know he will take care of whatever needs and whatever needs to be done. Wow, that is so powerful. And, you know, I, I see... Uh, just so much faith in you and in Elizabeth, your wife. And um, I think that is a faith that we we need more of, you know, and I'm wondering if in closing, uh, Richard, you'd be willing to just pray for all of us listening into this podcast, just pray for that gift of faith uh, to be uh, poured out into our hearts, into our spirits. Could you pray for us? Let's pray. 
Jesus, I want to thank you for giving me an opportunity to live again. I thank you. And for that reason, O oh Lord, may everyone who hear this testimony know that it's you. It has nothing to do with me, but it has to do with your name, with your person, with your presence. So Lord, as I pray now, I pray that Lord, you release the gift of faith into whosoever is hearing this prayer. May they know it's possible. May they know you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. May they know you are a respecter of no persons. May they know this is the gift of faith that you have given us. Lord, I pray, release faith in the hearts of men and women, boys and girls, as I as they hear this prayer, raise their faith. Raise their faith. Let your hand be strong upon their lives. May you make them to know they can be vessels of honor. Lord, you want to use them for your glory. As you send the 70, Lord, you are sending them with the same power in their communities, in their homes, in their families, in their workplace, that, Lord, you can manifest yourself in healings, miracles, signs, and wonders. I thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Richard. And, um, yeah, I just uh, really appreciate being able to have this conversation, and I hope everyone listening is truly blessed.